Welcome to Four Speed Ahead. I'm Craig Fuller here with Tony Caraccio. Uh, how are you doing, Tony? I'm doing good. Thank you for having me. So, Tony, you and I have a lot in common. I came, I grew up in an asset-based trucking family. I've been involved in the startup community. I have not worked for a venture capital firm, but um, I have accepted a lot of money or taken a lot of money investments from VC. So I certainly track it. Now, you have an unusual background, came from an asset-based carrier, went worked on Wall Street, were, were a founder, and also worked as a venture capital at a venture capital firm. How did you get involved in, how did that path work out for you? Yeah, so it, it is a little bit random, um, my, my whole journey. However, I, like you mentioned, I, I grew up with a family business in trucking. My family owns a 70-year-old asset-based drage carrier, several warehouses throughout New Jersey, primarily servicing the port of Newark, New Jersey. Um, I went from that to working on Wall Street, primarily because my mom was like, you don't want to join the trucking industry. It's a low margin business, not very sexy. And so I was like, I'm going to join Wall Street. And so that's what I did. Um, From there, I was on the trading desk for about four years. And then I had an awesome opportunity to join as a co-founder um, with actually my cousin, Michael, uh, and start a company called Axel. Uh, from there, you know, we built our company to several thousand trucks throughout the United States and in Mexico. And we ended up selling off that business line to an ELD company called Connexial. And at that point, you know, I, I loved being I love the experience that I had as a co-founder. I am very entrepreneurial by the way I was brought up, but I always was really intrigued by the venture capital industry, being able to work alongside multiple founders and get to work, uh, get to learn about, you know, multiple different types of, of sectors and, and, you know, just learning how to operate a company sitting at the other side of the table. Right. And so I ended up going from Axel to Edison Partners, which is a 33-year-old growth equity firm based out of Princeton, New Jersey. And that was solely based on, you know, putting myself out there. And um, I had a mentor that had different relationships at different venture capital firms. He got me in the door uh, with, with multiple VCs for interviews and then had to kind of figure it out from there, right? So I I um, interviewed with, you know, 20 different venture capital firms. And then Edison is the one that I ended up choosing. Um, I started off covering both fintech and enterprise solutions, and then found myself diving right into supply chain logistics technology, because that's, you know, been my upbringing. And it's, it's basically, it's my passion. Now, as a uh, multi-generational person in the industry, did you always think you'd end up in freight? Is diesel in your blood? Is this something that is sort of instilled in you or was it more of a you, you got to experience how your family was operating the business and decided to take that that experience into uh, where you've ultimately ended up in this industry well i never really anticipated working in the trucking and freight business because like i said grew up in the family business kind of started to do my own thing um worked in more finance uh than than in freight but I was definitely drawn back into this industry because I do have 
you know, my, my roots are in, are in trucking and in freight, right? So I not only have this, um, this love for the industry, but I have, um, you know, the experience having worked alongside my mother for years, um, the relationships that we have, um, having been in the business for 70 years, and just really the knowledge of, of the sector. Yeah, it's interesting because I, I find that it's an industry where tribal knowledge uh, really sets you apart. Having the experience of knowing what it's like to run a trucking company or be involved in freight and having the grit and the thick skin that, that takes to be in this industry uh, enables you to, to go out and start a startup, which requires the same level of, of grit and, and thick skin. Um, when you entered the industry, you guys went out and created a, a digital brokerage business, but then you were involved in the ELDs. How did that uh, come about? Yeah, so like I mentioned, worked on Wall Street for four years. As soon as I left, I received some angel funding from my bosses to start Axel. We really wanted to start with this digital freight brokerage type business model, and we realized really soon um, and really quickly why it's not a sustainable business model. There's very little opportunities in life where you can scale a business based on a government mandate. And so we ended up making this transition from this marketplace to the to building our own proprietary ELD system for several different reasons, um, but primarily because transitioning into the ELD model allowed us to solve for the issues we were having in the digital freight brokerage space, such as driver acquisition and um, and retaining those drivers. So you might have a brokerage that has, you know, tens of thousands of truck drivers that are signed up, signed on with that brokerage or able to drive for that brokerage. However, 5% of them are, you know, logging into Uber Freight's app or Convoy's app and actually moving more than one freight, more than one load. So for us, um, having an an application in the driver's hands that they were, they had to use 14 hours per day was really just a stepping stone for us to create this other um, business model. But we ended up selling it before we got to that point. So then you get, you went into venture capital, you're, you're, you've got knowledge of how the business operates. You've started business and exited. What I find talking to a lot of VCs is they don't know the business very well. Uh, Supply chain and freight logistics is, it's an emerging industry, but it's still one that very few venture capitalists spend a lot of time understanding how the industry works. Some of the investments that have been made uh, where they've really marked up the valuations have been in businesses which are not that differentiated, you know, whether it's the digital brokerage space or, or, or elsewhere. When you walked into Edison, what was it that you were really focusing on? And did you bring them along? Did you find that there was that they were really interested in in trying to understand the space? I really wanted to just get my foot in the door in the VC world. Edison by no means was a VC that was entirely focused or exclusively interested in the supply chain logistics industry, but they realized how big of of a market it was, how much opportunity there was, how antiquated a lot of the systems are, uh, throughout supply chain and logistics, um, how disconnected all the different nodes are, right? They understood those kind of macro points, but 
to what you just said, if you're not in the business, you don't really understand the complexity that goes into moving one single load. There's so much that can go wrong. There's so many different factors and people involved that from a VC perspective, it sounds great because like I said, huge market, right? Um, Not a lot of players. At the time, you know, five, 10 years ago, uh, you know, you had SAP, Oracle, all these larger software providers in this industry. And it wasn't until the last, you know, five or so years where we're seeing just a massive influx of innovators in the space. Um, so when I joined Edison, like I mentioned, I, um, I learned a little bit about all different types of sectors, but then I really narrowed in on supply chain and logistics and built that investment thesis within Edison's portfolio um, because, because supply chain is the backbone of our economy. It's so crucial. And we're starting to notice that more and more now that we're going through this global pandemic. I think supply chain was every other word on, on the news for quite some time. Yeah, it's interesting to me how uh, since uh, COVID, since March, how much more interest there is before March. And I've said this you know, publicly is at people would often ask once a week, can you build a media and data business on supply chain and freight? Is that, is that a real business? Because to them, it's not niche. And I would remind them that it's 12% of global GDP and $9.6 trillion. It still didn't matter to them because they thought it was a boring topic. But since March, people are really across major media as well as just normal, you know, just everyday average people are interested in what's happening, how all the stuff is interconnected and frankly aware of how fragile a, how fragile it can be, but also how resilient the industry is. Definitely. I mean, you know, you're, you're nailing it right on the head. We, we, uh, more, there's more venture capitals interested in this sector than every, ever before, and rightfully so. I, I hope there's more and more investment dollars going into this sector so that we can actually solve for a lot of the issues that we're, we're facing. Yeah, I think it's $50 billion. We, we did an article about a week ago. Over $50 billion has been invested in supply chain technology in 2020, and that's up from $32 billion last year. And if you sort of compare that to sort of the growth back in 2011, it was less than – it was a couple hundred million dollars. So was, we're seeing just this expansive amount of growth investment in not just venture but large-scale companies. E2 Open is going public uh, uh, sometime next year. A lot of investment, a lot of the SPACs have been tied into electric or uh, alternative vehicles. So there's a lot of investment capital, but I still think we're in the early stages of that. I mean, I, I don't know what your thoughts are. You've seen it inside of the, the venture funds. Uh, I've seen it firsthand. What, what are your thoughts in terms of where we're at? Is this, are we the first inning? Are we in the middle of the game or, or late stages? I think that we're going to continue to see a, a, a lot more investment dollars going into this sector. But I think there's going to be a transition as to how much due diligence is done and the level of understanding these investors are are going to have before making future investments. Because there has been a lot of investment dollars in the supply chain sector. But to be completely frank, you know, it's a lot of these valuations, it's crazy. You know, they, they don't all they don't all make sense. You know, we have a competitor that has raised a hundred plus million dollars and 
they're a technology company that doesn't operate their own technology, right? They operate as a traditional kind of brokerage on the back end, as do a lot of these different quote unquote technology companies in this space. Um, so, you know, I think, um, I think we're going to see much smarter investments moving forward because the, the the investments that have occurred have happened over the last several years and people are really starting to understand, you know, where um, the, the, the outcome of those investments. So what do you, what do you think that the most inflated valuations are? Is it the digital brokerage space that has the most inflated valuations? Is that where you, Yes. I didn't say I can't understand the $3.5 billion in Convoy or, or the, the $800 million in Transfix. It just, it just doesn't make, it just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Um, maybe it is because I grew up in trucking. I'm very lean in the way that I, I think about businesses, even though I did work in venture capital, a lot of it just seems extremely inflated, specifically within that vertical of supply chain. It's hard. Um, it's hard when you look at an echo, a two and a half billion dollar company that trades at eight hundred million or nine hundred million dollars market cap, and then you sort of look at the digital brokers, which are trading at you know ten, you know two to ten times revenues, uh, top line gross, and so it's difficult uh, to sort of get your head around how these valuations match up and understand what what's the real difference between the two organizations um, on a on the back end, right? How are they operating any different? A lot of the times you have this technology that's a facade, but on the back end, you know, they're still, the margins are still the same. Um, the amount of operational, you know, um, expenses and people that they have, it's, it's very similar. The retention amongst carriers uh, is very similar. And so, you know, People got into that industry, as did we with Axel, saying this is such a massive opportunity. But like I said, you really have to understand that this is a very different type of beast than um, any other industry. There's so many different things that can go wrong. And so, um, yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens. But I think that it's, it's be, being brought to light more and more that uh, that type of business model is, is not... Um, as exciting as Uber was for the car industry. Yeah, it's, I think Uber, it's hard for me to, to sort of use, I understand the analogy because people, it's digitization of transportation services. The, the, the difference is that Uber effectively created capacity, whereas in trucking, the capacity is fungible. And ultimately, as you mentioned, there is no moat to keep that driver, that, that owner operator on one platform or the other, they can move, they're very transparent. It's very hard to create a, a sort of a walled garden to that. I do think, though, that some of the venture capital firms, what or venture capital backed firms, what they're able to do is they're able to solve solutions that a lot of the incumbents uh, had not or would not make the investments to do, or frankly, uh, take the risks uh, to actually solve for some of them. Uh, can you give me a, an example of, of what you think? Detention. Uh, Detention is a good example, is that you. Detention is one of the, or Demeridge, if you're in the Dre world, detention is one of the, if you think about it, it's the driver and the asset provider that carry the burden of having to prove what time that driver came in. The drive, you have brokers or intermediaries that are in the middle that are billing detention because they, they can substantiate that the driver's there. 
but they don't actually pass that payment on to the carrier. And so you have the driver that's actually giving up all the time. The person that's sitting at a desk, that's the broker, isn't actually doing that. And what you're seeing is some of the companies, Convoy did this, where it's guaranteed detention. If you're there, and they will automatically pay it. And I think that is solving real problems. We've seen uh, trade offs where companies like JD Hunt 360 and Convoy and Uber Freight have said, look, ultimately the trailer is the asset that matters in all of this. It's it really the, the truck itself is sort of interchangeable. And why don't we make the investment around the trailer and give the, the ability for drop trailers and things? And so those investments, I, I think even though the asset-based carriers were doing those things before, what they did was they created a platform for scale and they made the investments. Oftentimes when I was in asset-based trucking, companies wanted drop trailers, but the issue was we would look at it, what, what does it cost to keep that trailer at the door without thinking about the fact that that driver, if that trailer was available, that driver's time wouldn't be eaten up by having them loaded and unloaded. But the, the concern was, about the fact that that trailer costs 20 or $30 a day. Not thinking about the time that it would take 150 to $200 of time out of the operation of the truck by having the, the truck sit there. So there's a lot of things in the, in the venture capital world that I think there are inefficiencies that they can help solve for that are healthy for the broader industry. I agree valuation metrics are, it's hard for me to get my ha a handle on it. It's hard for me to look at my own valuation uh, as a company and look at it under the metrics of what a traditional, you know, company that generates EBITDA would look like. It's just, it's a completely different world. Right. To your point, a lot of the investment dollar that we've seen come from the venture capital world has primarily been in subsectors that are, you know, uh, truckload, over the road, um, LTL. Now, to your point, we're, we're really starting to see, you know, more interest in this drayage vertical, right? Because there's all this talk on final mile, right? Drayage is the first mile. It's, it's, it's crucial. And there's so many problems right now in the ports that having more investment dollars go into this specific vertical, I think is going to only continue to grow. I mean, if you look at drayage carriers, they're like, um, they're like gamblers, right? They're, there's tens of thousands of dollars on the line every day in fees. And so what we're doing over at Port Pro, which is a company that I joined after um, Edison Partners as their director of marketing, is we are looking to ultimately um, help those drayage carriers become much more tech-enabled and optimized, which is only the first stepping stone to then solving for a much broader issue with all the inefficiencies and the lack of connectivity between the different nodes um, outside of just drayage. So, so Johnny, are you, are you suggesting that it, as, as you guys solve for the issues around drayage, the inefficiencies that happen at the port and the inter sort of intersection of that, that that then gives you or other platforms the ability to then solve for all miles of transportation? Is that how, is that the approach that you guys are taking? Totally. Because, um, you know, there's, there's a handful of software companies that solve or offer their products and solutions to drayage carriers. But what they forget about is that these trucking companies are not technology companies, right? 
And so first and foremost, there the industry is so complex and convoluted in general that the last thing that they need to be dealing with is a complicated software. Their software needs to be easy to use, period, end of story. And so by giving them software that's easy to use and able to optimize what they're currently doing, they're able to make much smarter business decisions. Um, they're able to have more visibility. They're able to take more control over their company um, and, and streamline a lot of things that weren't streamlined before, right? From giving visibility to their customers or streamlining the invoicing process. There's so many different different facets within um, how a drayage operation works that needs to be improved so that these other forms of communication, in our opinion, are, are much, um, much better. So we, is, it can be compared to a TMS system or is it a, is it a platform where you guys are actually managing freight? It's a TMS system. So it's a TMS platform to help Dray operators. And Dray is one of the most fragmented pieces of the entire industry. And as you mentioned, it's still a very archaic. It's one of the least technologically forward parts of it. It's, it's often forgotten, um, I think, by the market. Yeah, I mean, it, it is often forgotten. It's ext- it's extremely important um, because what we're doing is once we make these these Dray carriers more optimized, we then are able to, like I mentioned, help with the connectivity between the different nodes. And so um, it is very fragmented. We launched our product in the port of Newark to start. We have over 30 trucking companies, anywhere between 15 and 150 trucks. Um, and, and they're, you know, not only using our software, but they're essentially relying on our software, right? There's all these different tech companies out there, but there's a difference of using it kind of as a tool and, and for the benefit of the company, um, on a one-off basis. And then there's another facet that this is kind of your whole operations relies around this system, Right. Um, and so that's we, we launched into the port of Long Beach and now we're in the process of launching into some other markets as well. Right. But we're cre- sorry. Go ahead. I was going to ask if you guys raise venture capital. We have not yet, um, but it's a big reason why I joined Port Pro, because having gone from operating a company to working in VC, I learned so much about things that I'm now instilling in in this operation, right? Simple things like this is what you don't say when you're going out to pitch a VC to raise money, right? Or the different unit economics that are really important to track um, that you might have oversaw because you were an entrepreneur and you just get things done and, and you do anything that you can to grow a business, right? I mean, now it's like we're able to take a lot of these different things um, that I learned. And, and now, again, I'm implementing a lot of this in um in port pros operations so so tony what is the one thing you don't say to a venture capital firm i mean (laughs) there's there's so many little there's so many little things uh that i didn't realize even just as simple as when you're going to present right making sure that if you're with your co-founder or you have one of your employees with you that they're getting the same amount of talking time kind of as you are these these little things um when being asked a question answering it directly as opposed to kind of t- 
telling a story. I mean, everyone's a little bit different, but just from my own experience, you know, I would sit in these, um, these investment committee meetings and I would say, and I would hear the partners talk after, and it was just super interesting having, hearing all these different things that I didn't really consider when I was going out to raise money with Axel. Um, Our first CFO was a, uh, was an, an associate or principal at a VC firm joined us and he had no idea as a founder. I said, it is so different. And then he had to call up investors and venture capitalists. And now he's, he's back running his own VC firm, but it's, it is a very different mentality. I think founders have a, have a most founders in the early stages have a core understanding how VC works. Um, and venture capitalists often have a poor appreciation of the, of the world that we live in as founders. I mean, it was it was really um, it was really an, an incredible experience because not only is it everything that you're learning, right? It's it's the marketability that you create. It's you know the opportunities that open themselves up just by saying you work at a venture capital firm. Now I'm close with all these different VCs that would come to me saying, "Hey, what do you think about this company? What do you think about that company?" And I would help them in their due diligence process um, when looking at different supply chain technology companies. Uh, and I built great relationships because of it. So to go back and answer your question, PortPro has not raised any venture capital money. Um, but the reason why I joined is because I saw all of these different metrics and growth within PortPro that I knew is going it, it's going to become a very successful company. Um, looking at all the companies that were fast growers in, in Edison's portfolio and looking and understanding the different traits and characteristics as to why those exited versus others, right? And so with Port Pro, we have grown super fast. We're profitable. We don't need to raise venture capital money, but we are going to do it to put a little fuel on the fire. Um, however, we also understand that if we can wait three, four months and hit our numbers, then we have much more leverage when going out to raise venture capital money. Yeah, well, best of luck in that process. I have one last question for you. If you could go back five years ago and you could make an investment in a sector, not a company specifically, where do you think you would have made that investment? I would have made that investment, not to be biased, but I think drayage is is extremely crucial, Um, but not even talking about a specific sector, just more of a business model as a whole in companies that are creating ecosystems of carriers. Carriers that are relying on your software, they're the most important part, obviously, with all the issues um, going on in the industry with this capacity crunch and and everything. It's having access to a network of carriers is, is the most important thing. Um, and like I said, I might be a little bit biased, but drayage is a is a sector that I think is really interesting. Um, because it's there's not a lot of uh, there hasn't been a lot of attention paid to this sector, and um, there's the least amount of innovation here. Uh, opportunity. It doesn't sound like you missed out uh, yet on those investments. There's a lot of opportunity ahead. Best of luck in at Port Pro and uh, your journey as a part of a founding team, uh, Tony. Best of luck. Thanks for coming Thank on. You. Thanks so much.